Welcome to the latest episode of The Climate Conversation. I am Dan Brissett, the Executive Director of the Environmental and Energy Study Institute. Uh, let me introduce my co-host, Sydney O'Shaughnessy. Hi, Sydney. How are you doing today? Hi, Dan. I'm Sydney O'Shaughnessy, and today we have such a great conversation set for you, so I'm really excited to get started. We do. Today, we're going to be talking with Emma Schwartz about her film, Plastic Wars, and we're going to be exploring some uh, issues around the use of mixed plastics in our daily lives and what the consequences of that are. Um, and it's a, uh, a wonderful film. If you haven't already checked it out, it ran on the PBS program Frontline about a year ago in March 2020, I think. Um, if you haven't already seen it, pause, go watch it, and then come back. Uh, because I think it's a, it's, a, it's a really excellent program, really excellent film. I certainly learned a lot about it. Um, I think one of the things I took away from it is that we're talking about a huge issue. Um, we're talking about, um, the, the, you know, in 2018 alone, we're talking about 36 million tons of plastic created in the United States. And when you add that to all of the plastic continue, produced in the previous years, you start to imagine huge mountains of it sitting around because unfortunately, as we uncover, or as Emma and her team uncovered in her film, a lot of it isn't recycled, even though we think it may be. And as a consumer in the most consumer-centric country on the planet, it does make you wonder and rethink some of your behaviors and some of your practices about, am I really doing what's best for the environment when I make this purchasing decision based on the packaging? So it's a, a wonderful film. It's something that um, I've certainly thought a lot about since I've seen it. And uh, I encourage everyone to go take it, to go take a look. Sydney, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, and I mean, we really wanted to focus on plastic and waste and that kind of topic because this episode is airing during April Earth Month. And we wanna make sure that we are focusing on pressing environmental issues to highlight during Earth Day and Earth Month in April. Um, and I totally, I totally agree with you, Dan, about the magnitude of the plastic problem. In the United States, we typically have this out of sight, out of mind mentality where you're like, I did my duty. I put this piece of plastic in the bin and it disappears forever. But what Emma's film, Plastic Wars, is really showing us is that it's, it's not actually going away. Just because we aren't seeing it in our own homes, that doesn't mean that it's being properly recycled or even being handled in the United States. And so our conversation with Emma today is really illuminating and, and she just knows so much about this issue. And we're very excited to talk about the magnitude of this problem with plastic and recycling, but also the solutions on different policy and individual levels. So I guess I'll just introduce Emma. We've talked a lot about her, but let me just introduce who she is. Emma Schwartz is an award-winning producer and reporter. She's worked on dozens of films that dive into a wide range of topics from affordable housing to disaster recovery. Her recent film, and the one that we're going to be focusing on today, is called Plastic Wars, which uncovered the industry's de decades-long campaign to promote recycling as a way to sell more plastic. Um, Emma began her career in print journalism and then moved into video and television in 2008. And she also has served as an adjunct journalism lecturer at the University of Maryland and was a recipient of fellowships from the Journalist Law School at Loyola Marymount University and the FAU Scripps Howard Institute on the Environment. Hi, Emma. Thanks for being here today. We are very excited to talk to you about your expertise on plastic waste and your recent film, Plastic Wars. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. 
Great, so let's just jump right in and start with the basics. Your film frequently highlighted the chasing arrow symbol on all of these plastic containers that we see in the grocery store. This symbol looks like it's on all plastics. So can you really break down what that symbol means and if it means that everything is recyclable? That's a really great question. It was actually one of the starting points of uh, our, our film and our research. Um, you know, I think a lot of people go into the supermarket and see the chasing arrows and think, oh, okay, there's a number on it, but it has this recycling symbol, so therefore it's recyclable. And in a technical sense, that is true, but there's that's not actually what necessarily happens to all of the uh, items that have that symbol on it. The, um, the code was actually developed in the late 80s as a way to help sort of both separate different kinds of plastics to say, well, you know, you, you have a bottle, it can't be recycled with a film. And so all the number and the symbol indicates is what kind of plastic it is. And there's actually many, many more kinds of plastic than the one through seven code that was developed. So when the symbol was created, um, you know, we had talked to this uh, recycler from the 1980s, Koi Smith, and, um, you know, he said that back at that time, he started having people coming into his recycling facility and they would say, look, this item has a, a recycling symbol on it. Why are you not taking it? And, you know, he said, well, it's not recyclable. I can't recycle this. I can't sell it to anyone. I run a business. And, you know, what that led to was a big controversy at the time because people got the impression that because this symbol had the recycling symbol on it, it meant that it could be recycled. And, you know, uh, there was a, a series of meetings between the National Cycling Coalition and the plastic industry to try to come to a conclusion, to try to change it. And ultimately that stalemated and things never changed. And so we've had decades in which, you know, consumers have gone to the grocery store and they see the symbol and they know it's the recycling symbol, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that packaging can be recycled. And the reason is fundamentally recycling is a business. And so just because something you know, can be recycled in a lab doesn't mean it's, there's gonna be a market for it, doesn't mean anyone's going to do it and anyone's gonna pay for it. So um, that's, that's the short story of the recycling triangles, the, the recycling symbol code. Well, thank you. So basically um, that, that means that not, I'm just trying to like distill it down again. So basically that means that everything is technically recyclable, but not economically feasible. And that's why a lot of these companies and plastic producers can't actually take them back and recycle them. Correct. And I think, you know, the, the question and the debate that, you know, the recyclers in the plastic industry have had is, you know, is the symbol itself misleading? Um, and many recyclers, be recyclers believe that it, it is unfair because it creates the perception that something is recyclable. And, you know, there have been some efforts to change in certain packaging and there are, you know, new kinds of symbols that some brands do use. So, you know, this is an active conversation inside of the industry uh, as to, you know, whether or not they can fully move away and provide more guidance that's clearer. But, you know, even that is very difficult because recycling is really a local issue. And so whether something is recyclable is not something that, you know, any national brand company can tell you clearly um, for every consumer across the country. Thank you. 
Thanks for joining us today, Emma, and congratulations on a wonderful documentary. It's one of my favorite episodes of Frontline. I watched it again last night, um, and it's, it's incredibly well told. For the plastics industry, making recycling work, or at least creating the perception that recycling was working, was a strategy behind selling more plastic, or at least part of a strategy behind selling more plastic. And it seemed that the industry essentially used the possibility of recycling or the potential of recycling to sell more and more plastic without actually tackling recycling technology, increased uh, improved sorting techniques, um, and also the infrastructure and almost the supply chain that follows after you put something in the recycling bin. What are the lessons that our audience should take from this with an eye on improving the ability to make recycling possible in the future? Well, I I want to sort of you know, take you back to you know some of the folks that we talked to from you know the late 80s and the 90s inside of the plastic industry, and you know this was a time when you know for there was a lot of pushback from a number of local governments activists about um, you know plastic waste and plastic recycling, and there was the threat of bans on certain kinds of plastic packaging, and that was really a motivator for the industry where they felt like their product that you know was their bread and butter could be you know, kicked off the shelves. This was sort of the story in Minnesota where the industry went in and say, let's, let's come up with a way to work this out. And you know, there were efforts to look at you know, what was technologically feasible and how to recycle it. But what many people in the industry concluded and had known actually even before that in earlier iterations of these questions was that it was gonna cost way too much to be able to recycle everything at the rates that you know, many consumers wanted or that you know people might want to have happen, and so um, you know I think the the thing that caught our attention was that you know as there's been increasing questions about the amount of plastic waste that we're seeing today, you know in the oceans and everywhere, there's been a renewed push by the industry that they're going to come up with new forms of recycling technology, and um, that they're going to you know invest millions or billions into making this happen, which is a very similar kind of pledge that they made decades ago, which ultimately sort of fizzled out when the public attention, you know, turned a different way. And, you know, I mean, that's sort of generally, you know, a very sort of common, you know, you know business practice, right? If the pressure's not there, if there's not regulatory oversight, what's the economic incentive when you have a lot of competitors who aren't otherwise putting money in there? So, you know, that's understandable in that sense. Um, the, the question, I think, comes down to whether the focus on, you know, recycling is the right question to be focusing on, because, you know, if the economics don't make sense for certain kinds of plastic to be recycled, you know, what are other ways of reducing what we use and the consumption of those, or are there ways to make certain kinds of recycling more economically viable? Um, and I think that's where a lot of the policy conversations are today. Well, I'm really great that you, I'm really happy that you brought up the policy aspect because my next question really has to do with that. So how has state and federal legislation played a role in how we have managed plastics in the US? So, um, you know, historically, uh, waste 
has been a, a not just a state but very much a local issue. It's sometimes a state level and you know very limited role of the federal government. There's been some obviously regulating landfills and things like that, but you know by and large this is something that every locality decides themselves. Um, and you know one one sort of commonality over the years in the United States is that for the most part, it's left to the local government to come up with a way to pay for that. It's not the responsibility of the producer. And ultimately when it's left to the gov government, that means it's left to the taxpayers, to the consumers. Um, and uh, you know, there, there's one exception, um, and this isn't strictly about plastics, but in the world of recycling, and that's um, the bottle bills, which had sort of come in, it's particularly in the early seventies, they started to you know, phase out in the face of industry opposition about a decade later. But um, in these states, there's a fee, you know, it was five cents, got raised to 10 cents, it depends on the state to help cover the cost of recycling. And by having that reclamation fee in states with a bottle bill, you have a more than double rate of recycling for those bottles, whether they're glass bottles, whether they're plastic bottles, whether they're aluminum cans. And um, you know that was a very different model than what we have in most places for most, most other kind of recycling. Um, and there is a big difference in what kinds of incentive that creates for companies and consumers to recycle more. Well, I grew up in rural Vermont and we have a five cent deposit and there were never any plastic bottles or aluminum cans on the sides of the road. Uh, and it was a huge fundraiser for us when we were in Cub Scouts. Uh, everyone uh, collected bottles. Yeah, I grew up in California and we, and I remember in second grade, we had a can contest and we had to collect the most aluminum cans. And then we took them down to sort of the recycler, the team that um, it was like tables, you know, the four tables that you sat at, the, the table that collected the most got to go take the whole class's uh, aluminum cans down to the recycler and we used the money to get ice cream. Um, <laughs> so yes. I think recycling came to our community pretty late because of where I grew up. And I remember being so excited about it. I remember just, and today I will carry an empty bottle around because I can't stand to throw it away. I will look for a bin. Um, it's been drilled into me that uh, <laughs> recycling uh, is something that's really, really important. And I think one thing that your film uh, you know, taught me was that um, I needed to kind of question what I had been told um, and, uh, and what I learned and maybe revisit my decisions the thing that's really strikes me in your in the report is when you're in the grocery store and there's a there's a thing of guacamole or something on the shelf and I had a flashback that I had a very similar container in my refrigerator even today uh, and I was like oh that may not ever get recycled <laughs> I felt kind of guilty about that so um, the film addresses how the plastic industry shifts the burden of taking care of the waste uh, to individual consumers and to solid waste districts, municipalities, like you were just saying. Can you explain the balance of where current policy places that responsibility? And are, are there any initiatives underway that you're aware of that would sort of shift that balance? And perhaps um, some states or localities might be looking at extended producer responsibilities? Right, I mean, I think for the most part, um the the balance in the United States is that it's on the backs of the consumer to sort of figure out 
where what can be recycled and on sort of the local municipality to you know figure out if there's even markets or you know how viable their system is it's it's not on the companies that produce them and the companies that produce these products say look you know we're not the ones getting rid of the waste that's on the consumers if things end up in the ocean that's on the people if you know people want recycling they can pay for it that's not our responsibility however you know there are a, a lot of folks that say well you know you're producing this packaging that's creating you know waste in our communities and there's been models in other countries where they put fees on this that um, create what's called extended producer responsibility so that they have to help cover the cost of recovery. Um, it's similar to the bottle bills, but a little bit different. And this has been introduced in a number of state legislatures in the last couple of years. And I believe just the last month, um, I think it was nine states had um, introduced um, extended producer responsibilities again in the legislative session. You know, when we were working on our film, you know, California was really stepping out there to say they were trying to pass a bill. And, you know, there was a lot of questions about, well, if California does it, you know, such a big state, um, that could really sort of shift the ball nationally. That didn't happen that year. Um, and, you know, that is, you know, still expected to be hotly debated again this year. So this is an active conversation. And uh, I know on a congressional level, you know, there was a, an attempt to kind of review what is potential model policy and introduce legislation there. Um, though, you know, most of the people that I've talked to have, you know, believe that it's most likely if anything moves forward, that would happen on a state level. Um, but, you know, this really, that, that obviously any shift in, in sort of the burden or responsibility would be a, a pretty big sea change in how, uh, you know, waste and particularly plastic waste has been managed in the United States for decades. Okay, my next question, I know it's a loaded question and it might be really, you know, challenging to answer, but I would still like to know your thoughts. Like in general, what do you and your team think are the most important takeaways from your film for an audience that is thinking about policy? You know, I think the the most surprising thing to me was actually trying to think about recycling. And, you know, I think as as you sort of said before, recycling, we've always thought of this is something that is always good. But the reality is sometimes a little more complicated. And one of the, you know, things we learned with uh, David Alloway, who is with the Department uh, of, uh, God, let me start there. It's like the DEQ. Um, David Alloway, who's with the Environmental Department at, with the state of Oregon, is that just because something you know can be recycled, it may not actually be the packaging with the lowest environmental impact, you know, and it makes this whole conversation very complicated because if you just say, well, all plastic, I, I'm not going to use it, that's not necessarily incentivizing the use of a product that's going to be better if you're thinking about you know, impacts for climate change, right? You use something that's steel, it's eminently recyclable, but it weighs a lot and it takes a lot of energy to produce. And so, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, the easiest answer, because we don't know the impact of every product that we're gonna buy, it's not you know, written on the products the way the calories are, um, is that the less, we use, the better that is, because that's a lower impact period. And, um, you know, fundamentally, there's not a lot of transparency about the impacts, and that makes it very difficult for consumers to make informed choices. And so, um, you know, generally, I think 
as consumers and also as journalists, we like transparency. Obviously, sometimes there can be too much information to sift through, but I think there, there could be a lot more that would make things clearer. And I know that there's been like, for the past, you know, however many years, there's been a lot of focus on recycling, 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 but you're proposing maybe that the conversation should shift towards more of the reduce aspect or um, transparency aspects so that consumers know what's up. I mean, I think everyone that I've talked to in the policy world, you know, says, look, recycling serves a purpose and it is valuable in many areas. You know, plastic bottles can be recycled. Aluminum cans are very recyclable. And so nobody's saying, let's, you know, throw the baby out with the bath water here. And I think that in talking to a lot of the recyclers, you know, some of the reluctance to sort of get into the complexity of it is they worry that if you take one item out, consumers will stop recycling wholesale. And, and that isn't necessarily the best choice either. But, you know, on balance, we've had so much of a focus, you know, if you think reduce, reuse, recycle on recycle, which is sort of the easiest and sort of lowest impact thing that we can do. And reducing and reusing have a bigger impact. And those are harder. Those are more complicated to come up with an economically viable solution for. And, you know, for a lot of reasons, there's been a lot less of a focus on that conversation. And I think that's where there are some policymakers and thinkers that we've talked to that are trying to sort of raise those questions and figure out, you know, how, how does that work? And I think, you know, that that'll be very interesting to see. My first question is, I think you're, and this is something that really comes out in the film, focusing on recycle at the expense of reduce and reuse is maybe not the best strategy overall for dealing with the problem. However, I was just thinking, as I was listening to you speak, and, and I was thinking back to the film last night, we know from how we've changed our behavior to start recycling more, we know that behavior change is possible. Do you think behavior change is equally possible when it comes to reduce reuse if we focus our resources on those two parts of the equation? It seems like it could be more complicated um, because we live in a consumer-driven culture and society. And you know, recycling doesn't cut into our need to consume, right? Reduce and reuse makes those conversations more complex. And, you know, even if I think personally as, as a parent, um, you know, having something that's easy, that's, you know, a little bit of applesauce in a pouch to give to my kid, you know, I got to say that, um, that there's, a, there's value in that for me. And so, you know, that is not reusing something either. And, and I think that that's a much harder conversation um, and shift, you know, culturally, if folks are thinking about that. All right. All right. The last question is kind of a downer, but I don't really want it to be a downer. Um, after all of your work on the film, everything you've learned about the plastic industry and where plastic ends up and how it's created, do you think the system is permanently broken or do you think there's hope for improvement? So I don't know that I'm the best person to ask that question. Um, but I think, you know, that's really the question that comes out of the research that we learned in the film. Right. When you see a pattern over a period of decades to deflect responsibility and, you know, keep the onus on the consumer to figure out the best way to dispose of a product that, you know, companies want to sell more and more of, um, you know, is there an ability to change that? And, you know, will we look back 20, 30 years from now 
and you know see kind of the sequel of you know oh there's a problem with waste and what's the new strategy or will there be something different and and that really is sort of the question that um we'll all have to sort of see well thank you so much for your time i really love talking to you today um it was really illuminating and I really just never really thought about the plastic industry from like start to finish. And it's just so much more complicated than I could have ever imagined. So thanks for breaking it down for us. Well, thank you for your interest and um, appreciate uh, taking the time to talk about this. And thank you, Emma. It was really a delight to talk with you um, and congratulations again on a really successful film and really impactful, at least on me film. Um, do you have any projects um, or other things that you would want to take a moment to uh, direct our audience to um, so if people are interested in learning more about your work? Well, you know, the film, thankfully, one nice thing about Frontline is they're available online for free um, in perpetuity. And so, you know, folks can always go and take a look and watch it. And, um, you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how, how that squares, you know, five, 10 years from now. Well, that was an excellent conversation um, with Emma. Uh, Sid, I learned so much. This is such an interesting issue. It's also a really important issue. Um, and I know as um, I've learned more and more about this issue, thanks in large part to Emma's film, which really made me question a lot of my own behaviors and a lot of my own practices and a lot of my own perceptions about what happens when I put something in the recycling bin. Right, and it also really made me feel like we should be holding these big producers accountable as well. And we can do that through our actions as individuals in our, through what we support and how we're voting and those types of things. Thank you again, Emma. And as always, if you want to learn more about EESI's work, head to our website at eesi.org. Also follow us on social media at EESI online for all of our recent updates. If you like this podcast, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Also, The Climate Conversation is published as a supplement to our bi-weekly newsletter, Climate Change Solutions. Sign up at esi.org slash sign up. Thanks for joining us and see you next time.